If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. How were Roman gods different to Greek gods? Why did the Romans sacrifice animals? And what exactly did Roman religious cults get up to? On today's Everything You Wanted to Know episode, we're tackling Roman gods and goddesses in the company of Professor Philip Freeman, a professor of classics at Pepperdine University. Putting your questions on the Pantheon to Philip was Emily Briffitt. Today we're going to be delving into the mythology of Roman gods and goddesses. So we should probably start by asking When and how did the Roman gods become the official deities of the Romans? Well, they never did officially, actually. Uh, it was all a very informal process, and it was very slow, And uh, but but it stretches way, way back into prehistory. The Roman gods that we know about, we have from the very earliest Roman records, so there was no introduction of Roman gods in 200 BC or anything like that. It was a very long tradition, and some of these gods certainly go back thousands and thousands of years into Roman history. So how were they introduced, presumably there was a process from not having them to having them. Do we see an explanation for that in the mythology? Well, it depends. Uh, Some of the gods seem to have always been there. Going back into the the Stone Age, people were worshipping gods of fertility, of of hunting, uh, of whatever it might be. And so, those gods were always present. But the Romans were very interesting because they were always willing to adopt new gods, really, into their pantheon, into their group of gods. And so, uh, this happened mostly with uh, the introduction of Greek culture into the Romans. Uh, And that goes way back, really, before the founding of Rome. The Greeks were in southern Italy, the Greeks were in Sicily, the Greeks were up in Tuscany, the area where the Etruscans lived, just north of Rome. Uh, And so, uh, the Romans were influenced and and adopted Greek gods. But the thing is about the Romans, they were very conservative uh, religiously. Uh, They may have adopted 
gods, but they never gave up the old ones. Even when they didn't know what function those gods had anymore, they would still celebrate them and offer sacrifices, and they would uh, just do all sorts of things. Uh, but they, were, they never let go of a god once they got them, so they kept accumulating them. Thank you so much for talking about that, because actually we've had so many questions about comparisons to other gods and perhaps the Romans stealing a few that weren't originally theirs. So we've had questions from Marie Sandvig on Facebook and Nikita Owens on Twitter. And they've asked about whether it was true that many of the Roman gods originated from Greek or Etruscan origins. Yes, many of the Roman gods did come from the Greeks, uh, and many of them came from the Greeks by way of the Etruscans, who lived just to the north of Rome. But not all gods by any means. And whenever we look at books on ancient mythology, I know because I wrote one, it's almost all Greek mythology. And then you have a little chapter at the end that says Roman mythology or Roman gods, uh, which is really probably not the best way to do it, because the Romans had a very rich mythology and religion before the Greeks ever came along. But yes, they did adopt Greek gods, and they had no trouble with doing this. There was no contradiction. They had many, many gods, and they were always willing to take on a few more. If they went to war with somebody, the Sabines or the Oscans, whoever it was, they had a wonderful ritual that they did where they would go to the gates of the city they were at war with and were besieging, and they would do something called an invocatio, where they would invite the gods of that enemy city to come live with them, and they would say, oh, we will build you a better temple and we will offer richer sacrifices to you. And it, it, was, uh, it was sincere, but it was also a great psychological tool uh, in warfare. But most of the time, the, uh, the adoption of, of the Greek gods or other gods was a slow and, and gradual process. Occasionally, sometimes the Roman Senate said, wait a minute, this god is a little bit too wild for us. You know, we need to be careful about this. But most of the time, there was no problem and there was no objection at all. So Nicholas Sergis on Twitter has asked about how they determined which of these other gods that they would adopt into their pantheon. Were there any criteria when they adopted them? The Romans were, in general, a very conservative people. Uh, and so they were careful. But when they, uh, for example, when they invaded Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, they came across a very old cult, a goddess named Sibylle, who had some worship involved that was pretty wild, including castration and, and all sorts of strange things. And so the Romans, especially the Roman Senate, said, uh, no, 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 wait a minute. We're going to be very careful about this. And if we do adopt this new uh, right, which they did. There are certain guidelines that we're going to follow. We're not going to be like those Greeks or those people over there. Uh, we're going to do this in a very Roman way. So it was a, a it was a gradual process, and gods grew in popularity, and then they would you know fade away sometimes according to what you know what the particular fashion was uh, at the moment. Uh, just like so much in in modern society, we tend to follow uh, whatever's popular, whatever's fashionable. And the Romans did the same sort of thing too, without ever giving up any of the older gods. Just a quick side note here before we talk about further comparisons with other gods and goddesses. Were there any particular Roman gods that actually did fall out of fashion or did really rise in prominence? 
There were gods who were definitely Roman gods, not borrowed from the Greeks, not borrowed from the Etruscans, who did fade away a bit. And, and one of them was named Bona Dea, which in Latin just means the good goddess. It's a, not a very uh, imaginative name. Uh, but she was fascinating because she was a special goddess worshipped just by women. In fact, men were not allowed in her temple or in her worship at all. Uh, and so this was a very popular goddess back during the time of the Roman Republic back before Julius Caesar, and that tended to fade away a little bit. But she was worshipped all throughout Roman history, really. And you have other gods, such as Janus, the uh, the god of doorways, uh, who looks to the past and the future, who you don't hear that much about him as time passes on, but he was always there. And then you had other gods who grew in prominence by the time of the late Roman Empire. Uh, they were worshiping more and more the sun god, Helios, who they sometimes called Apollo uh, because there was a growth in the later empire towards a type almost of, of monotheism. Uh, and they viewed the sun god as this, uh, and I'm not talking about Christians, uh, I'm talking about pagan pre-Christian Romans, who tended to drift a little bit, at least some of them did, towards this idea of, of a single god, while not denying any of the other gods, but they put more and more prominence on the sun god. You mentioned there about God solely of Roman origin, and this is something that we've been asked quite a lot from Troy M. Daniels on Twitter, Monica DelVale on Twitter as well, Michael Pace on Facebook. Could you maybe tell us about some of the gods that were specifically of Roman origin or were perhaps unique to the Romans? Well, uh, there were, uh, I, I mentioned uh, Bonadea, the good goddess, the goddess of women, absolutely. Uh, Janus is a god who doesn't really show up elsewhere, uh, the god of doorways. There were gods like Faunus, who was a, a god of the woods and the wild, but he's an awful lot like Pan uh, in Greek mythology. Really, all of the gods uh, that the Romans had, Jupiter, any of them you can name, were absolutely 100% Roman gods before the Greeks ever showed up. But when they encountered the Greeks, they would say, oh, this god Zeus, well, he seems an awful lot like Jupiter. So they would call him Zeus sometimes, or Jupiter, or sometimes Jupiter Zeus. They really didn't get hung up on names too much. Uh, but there were uh, quite a few uh, Roman gods we know about uh, because we have a wonderful calendar of, of Roman god goddess celebrations. Uh, and uh, these uh, talk about all sorts of different gods who have been almost forgotten. Even by the Romans at the time, they barely knew what these gods did and, and, and what purpose they served. But they were always willing to adopt new gods. Were there any basic differences between the Greek and Roman gods? Yeah, in short, uh, the Greek gods were much more human. And when I say gods, I mean goddesses too. They looked human in artistic representation and they acted human uh, with all of our failings. The Roman gods, there's this wonderful Latin word, numen, uh, or in, in the plural, numina, which means forces, divine forces. And so the original Roman gods were much more of, of forces than they were humans. And this element was, of course, present in, in the Greek and other gods that they took in. But the Roman gods were not originally represented by statues, at least not very much. They were really thought of as powers in more of a, I guess you could say, a primal sort of sense. It was certainly a very well-developed theology 
mythology uh, that the Romans had, but they, they never saw the gods as just humans on a grander scale. They originally, at least, saw the gods much more as forces of nature, of, of procreation, of weather, of war, in much more of a primal sort of sense. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash History Extra. So in that way, this is a question from Darcy Keem on Twitter, who's asked, how did the worship of Roman deities differ from their Greek counterparts? In many ways, the worship was very similar. If you went to a Greek town, uh, you would see a temple or several temples. There were always multiple temples all over the place. You still can wander around Athens and you will see temples to Athena and and Ares and uh, lots of different gods and also in Rome. So there there was temple worship, uh, formal civic communal worship where the gods and the goddesses were worshipped and there were sacrifices to the gods. Uh, This is something in, in common with religions all around the ancient world, uh, Judaism, uh, ancient Near East, they sacrificed animals. This was a, a sacrifice of blood. It was transactional in a way, uh, because you would go and you would take a goat, or if you were really wealthy, maybe a cow, to the temple, and you would have this cow sacrificed uh, to the god, maybe Jupiter, and say, you know, Jupiter, would you please give me good weather so that my crops will grow this year? And that was, you know, a business sort of relationship, and that that absolutely happened with the Greeks and the Romans. But the Romans, they also had a really interesting gods that were household gods that also existed in a way in Greece, but not nearly as much. Every Roman house, if you walked into an ancient Roman house, you would see by the hearth, by the fireplace, which everybody had, the lares and the penates, who were these uh, little household gods. There was also a great deal of reverence for the ancestors, so that especially in wealthier Roman homes, you would see wax masks or representations of the ancestors. And it wasn't quite ancestor worship like we see in some religions around the world, but it it verged on that, uh, certainly. So there was a great deal of private worship among the Romans, as well as communal worship. 
it was definitely both an individual affair, but could it also function as an opportunity for community cohesion as well in a similar way we might see with a church or a mosque today? Absolutely. Roman religion could be household, it could be very personal, but it was certainly communal as well. And so it was used to bring a community together, especially in times of crisis. If you were being attacked by Hannibal and his elephants, then you would have sacrifices, lots of sacrifices to Zeus and to Mars, because he wanted the community to come together. And so uh, the Romans absolutely knew about propaganda and the value of that in religion, but they were also very sincere about it too. It, It wasn't just simple propaganda. But yes, religion was used definitely as a way to bring communities together. Just to turn back slightly to talk about the home, I think we should probably talk about those household deities. How much a part of the Roman religious practice did they make up? I think the household gods were central to Roman worship. Uh, If you got up in the morning, you would say a prayer, you might make a little bit of offering of incense or or something like that to your gods, Uh, just as religious people today in, in various faiths will say a prayer in the morning before they go out to begin their day. So, uh, the household gods were extremely important, and they tended to be much more personal, much more emotional than the, the gods. It's not that they didn't believe in Jupiter. They did absolutely believe in Jupiter and, and worshipped him. But somehow, if you're in a crowd with hundreds of people sacrificing bulls, that's one thing. Uh, but if you're at home saying a prayer to your particular household god, that is much more intimate. We've had a question from Rockborn Roman Filler on Twitter, and they've asked about prayer within the home and worship within the home. In what form did this take? Do we know? We know a little bit. There's so much we don't know about Roman religion and Roman mythology, but we know that the head of the family, the father, the Romans called him the pater familias, the father of the family, uh, and he was, uh, in in a sense, had a priestly function within the, within the family, but it was certainly not restricted to men. Women were absolutely as active in uh, religious affairs and, uh, affairs and worship as, as the men were, but it was a much more... Again, I use the word intimate sort of relationship where you might gather the children around uh, if you're making a special prayer to the gods. In America, we have Thanksgiving celebrations in November where we, uh, even people who aren't religious, will very often sit around and have a prayer. And I think that that's not a a bad comparison, actually, to what the Romans did uh, in their uh, particular family religious practices. In what form did the household deities actually take? Were they just personal to a family or were they thematic to an item in the home or something that would be useful in the home? The household deities, the Lares and Penates, we actually have a great many of them. Archaeologists have found these, and they tend to be little metal statues, almost like little tin soldiers that would be put up uh, above the hearth. And so, these were, some of them didn't even have names. In fact, they very often wouldn't have names, but they would be the private sorts of gods. And whether they were uh, the same as other households? Well, maybe not. Maybe you just thought of these particular gods as the god of your household, or maybe you had a particular god, say Minerva, who was the goddess of crafts, and you really wanted to worship her, so you might might make her one of your household gods. And so, uh, it could take a a great many different forms. Uh, Roman religion and practice was just as complicated uh, as it would be in in the UK or in England, and, and just as diverse. 
So to talk about that really intimate connection with the household gods to then talking about the wider gods, ones that we might recognise today when we're looking at popular perceptions of the Romans in media, what was their relationship with like with these big gods? Well, the big gods uh, were worshipped with great sincerity by the community, and certainly uh, there was much more of a, of a festive sort of atmosphere where you might have the day when Mars was worshipped uh, or, or something like that. Uh, and people would come together and there would be sacrifices and celebrations and banquets also, because one thing you did if you had sacrifices was you had to do something with all that meat. And so uh, you had great, just like we might have a barbecue in America, you had uh, great feasts and festivals. Uh, and so it was much more like Guy Fawkes Day or, or, or like the 4th of July or something uh, like that. Not as intimate, but also quite sincere. I don't want to give the impression that there were the sincere household gods and then there was just form for the uh, for the bigger ones. There wasn't. The Romans were quite religious. And sometimes you'll hear about the Greeks and the Romans both, that they, they didn't really believe in their gods. Well, I think that's largely not true at all. I think the Romans, just like the Greeks, uh, were very religious. Uh, for the most part, there are always exceptions. There were people who didn't believe, you know, they thought it was all nonsense. But if you'd stopped a uh, hundred average Romans on the street, they would be quite serious about the gods that they worshipped, whether in private or in public. This is a question from Susie1340 on Twitter, who's asked about whether the Romans believed that every aspect of their life was ruled by the gods. It's fascinating. I mean, it, again, it would depend on the Roman about whether or not, you know, how, how influential. In general, yes and no. If I can be a professor for a moment and give a really ambiguous answer, yes, they believed that the gods were everywhere. And this is a an idea that was not just among the Romans, but among the Celts, for example, who were uh, in Britain. It was an idea of, of gods ever present in a way that's hard for us in our largely secular world to imagine. They took them quite sincerely, absolutely. Marina CRS 2018 on Instagram has asked about whether this belief and practice varied at all across the empire. Absolutely. Roman religion and practice and ritual varied greatly. Of course, there were certain rituals, the worship of, of Jupiter. I keep coming back to Jupiter, but he was a god all over the empire. And so they would worship him as Jupiter in the West and as Zeus in the East. And so uh, the sacrifices, the, the types of animals, they were pretty much the same. There was no standard Roman religion, though. That's a fascinating thing. We come from a world where Christianity and Judaism and Islam, where you have a, a, a sacred book. Well, the Romans had no sacred book. They had no fixed liturgy. They had nothing that you absolutely had to say when you worshipped a god. So, there was a great deal of variety. And certainly, the Romans would worship the same goddess, like you might have, oh, Athena or, or, or Minerva in the Roman pantheon. She would have a certain name in London, and then she would have a different name in Damascus. But she would be basically the same goddess, but there would be different nuances of worship. It was a, 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 a great idea. The Romans, they certainly had gods that were worshipped all over the empire, but there were also lots and lots of local gods that were only worshipped in a particular town or a particular 
region. When the Romans moved into Britain and took over at least the southern part of the island, the southern and central part of the island, from the Celts, they didn't wipe out all of the Celtic gods and goddesses by any means. They adapted them to a certain extent, or they just kept their names. You would have a god like uh, Belanus, uh, who was a you know, Celtic god like Apollo. It was not a monotheistic world. And when I talk to my students at, in university classes, I say, you know, if you really want to understand Greek and Roman religion, you have to think of it very differently than you probably grew up in. And when I talk to students from India who are Hindu students, I say, you have such a great advantage for understanding Greek and Roman religion, because many of you grew up in a world with multiple, multiple gods and goddesses, and there was no contradiction, there was no problem in any of that. And that's how the Romans were as well. Do we get a sense of how people with different ideas or different concepts of Roman religion may have interacted? Well, it's really interesting to look at religion in the Greek and Roman world. There were very rarely religious conflicts or wars between people who worshipped this goddess or that goddess. That would have been a very strange notion to the Romans uh, because they were absolutely willing to accept if you had somebody come from Gaul, from modern-day France, and come down to, to Rome and say, you know, uh, I, I worship this god named X. The Romans would say, oh, that's nice. What do you do? And, oh, that's very much like our god. And th- nobody ever said, you know, our god is better uh, or anything like that. They would either welcome that god in or they would simply ignore him. But this is one reason why when Christianity came into the Roman Empire, that there was so much trouble. It wasn't a unique situation, but Christians said, no, there are no other gods. You know, those gods that you worship, they either simply don't exist or they are just demonic forces. And the Romans, they couldn't believe that somebody was saying this. How could anybody deny the gods? They called the Christians atheists for this reason. It was a very common label that the Romans gave to the Christians uh, because the Christians were absolutely insistent on monotheism. But for the most part, among Romans from all of the empire, even people coming from outside the empire, there were people who came into the Roman Empire from what's now India, from Africa, from wherever. There was never conflict when those people wanted to build a temple in Rome. That wasn't a problem for them. Why were the Romans so accepting of so many different gods and so many different cultures? Well, the Romans were accepting of a great many different gods. They, they, you know, they had no problem welcoming them in because they saw similarities to their own gods. In those times where the gods were different, they, they were very practical people. And they thought, well, this is a god of iron. We don't have a god of iron. Maybe this would be really good to have. And one good example of this is a goddess of horses, uh, because in Britain and elsewhere in the Celtic world, the Celts worshipped a goddess named Epona. She was very quickly adapted uh, into the Roman religion, especially by the army as a goddess of horses. So they thought this is really great, very useful. Uh, So the Romans were, again, very practical about accepting things that might be helpful to them. You speak about the goddess of horses. How did associations actually form between gods and goddesses and the objects or 
concepts that they became associated with. It's an interesting idea. And how did Jupiter become uh, associated with thunder? How did Athena and Minerva become associated with crafts? How did, well, Mars is a great example, for example. In in the Greek world, uh, you had Ares, who was a god of war, who actually was not very popular. If you read Homer's Iliad, everybody says, we hate Ares. You know, he's just awful. He's full of bloodshed and violence. But Mars in the Roman world was originally an agricultural god. You prayed to Mars for the growth of your crops. And it was only over time that Mars became more of a god of of war. And so they were very flexible people uh, and they had no problem with any of that. In a similar way, do we know any origins of names or the stories behind them? We do know some of them. Many of them are just totally obscure. But God like Jupiter, that literally means the sky father. It has the same basic root to it as Zeus does. And in fact, uh, in Greece, sometimes you will see inscriptions that say Zeus Pater, which if you say it fast enough, sounds a lot like Jupiter. <laughs> so it's a, we know about that, but many of the gods, honestly, we don't know where their names come from. Apollo, uh, Apollo is one of the few gods who was just borrowed directly into the Roman pantheon. His name means the destroyer. But most of the time, we don't know what the names really mean. So I guess we should probably at least chart this out. Who are the main gods? Do we have any kind of key moments of mythology that are vital to know? Well, I always recommend to my students and anybody really interested in mythology of the ancient world to begin with Hesiod, an author that many people have never heard of, but he lived at the same time as Homer. And he wrote an an amazing book called The Theogony, which means the origin of the gods. Uh, And it starts off talking about the world was a giant empty void. Actually, it sounds an awful lot like the beginning of the book of Genesis in the Hebrew Bible, uh, actually. But uh, most of the Roman gods, we have Jupiter, We have Juno, Neptune, uh, the god of the sea. We have Minerva, the goddess of craft. We have Mars, the god of war and agriculture. Uh, And um, there are, you know, the same big gods uh, that we have. Although the Romans uh, had some interesting gods that they were very much emphasized that the Greeks didn't so much. And one was Fortuna, which means fortune. Uh, And the the Romans were always worshipping Fortuna, always imploring Fortuna to... uh, Uh, be good to them. And you get something like this in the Greek religion too, but uh, the Romans, it was a big deal to the Romans. And so, uh, you would always see temples to uh, Fortuna uh, in every town. If you had a problem, you needed something to go your way, you would make a sacrifice of a chicken or something like that to Fortuna. And I guess the inverse, what are some of the most obscure Roman gods that we probably don't often hear about? Have you got any favourites? Oh, there are so many. I mean, so many of the gods, all we have is just a simple name in a giant list in a calendar, and we don't even know what they did. We have other gods. Oh, I come back to Bonadea again. She's such a she's such a great goddess, the goddess uh, that was worshipped by women. Uh, she's really one of my favorites, and uh, she's tied into a whole conspiracy where only women could be in her worship. And then you had a guy named Claudius who dressed up in drag and went into Bonadea's temple and got... Uh, Uh, you know, got in trouble and Caesar ended up divorcing his wife because of it and all sorts of interesting uh, stuff. Goddesses like that are important. Uh, And that's just one thing I wanted to emphasize too, is that it's only in recent decades that 
people have been paying attention to the goddesses and to women's religion, women's mythology. It's only in, in the last few decades where more and more women who are becoming classical scholars, getting well-trained uh, in the field, uh, it's, it's the interest in women's religion that's becoming more and more prominent. I think that's a really good point to make. Though I have to admit, I'm very intrigued by this man who snuck into the temple. I'm curious to what that story actually is. <laughs> Clodius, who snuck into the uh, the worship of Bonadea, it actually took place in uh, Caesar's house. Uh, Caesar and all the other men were kicked out of the house, and Caesar's wife conducted this worship of Bonadea. And Claudius, who was just a troublemaker uh, with a capital T, snuck in, and then he was discovered, and then he rushed out. He was a trickster. He delighted in making trouble. He almost got killed for his offense. He was popular with a lot of people, and so uh, it was overlooked. With so many different gods and goddesses, how did people manage to keep them all straight? How could they pick one from the other? Well, Hesiod, the man who wrote the Theogony, lists over 300 gods. And I, I sometimes tease my students saying that I'm going to put all of them on the next exam. But of course, I wouldn't because nobody can memorize them. I can't memorize them. I don't know the names of all the gods uh, in, in the Greek or the Roman world. And so, nobody could keep track of them. But what you did is, they were the big ones. There was Minerva, there was Mars, there was Jupiter. But you had your own personal favorites, maybe just one, maybe two or three that were your favorites. And so you, you you paid attention to those, uh, and it's very much like if you think about Catholics, especially in a, in a traditional time where you would have Catholics honor different saints, and, and people have and have different saints that mean the most to them, Mary, Joseph, whoever it might be, St. Francis. And you don't deny the existence of the other saints, certainly, but you, you have your handful who are special to you. Uh, I have on the on the wall in front of me St. Bridget. You, uh, you can't see it, uh, but there's a, a picture of her and of uh, St. Patrick over on the other wall. These are our, our Catholic saints that I think are very special. And so, I think the Romans would do something very much like this. They would have their particular gods, and then they would probably need to be reminded of the names of some of the more obscure ones uh, if, uh, if such an occasion came up. Now, Leah Falcon 12 on Instagram has asked about whether the change from republic to empire affected the portrayal or the belief or the worship of Roman gods. In general, the change from the Roman Republic to the Roman Empire didn't really change uh, Roman religion all that much uh, at all. The gods were still worshipped in the home. They were still worshipped publicly. And certainly, uh, as the empire spread, it came into contact with more gods from different places. Uh, but generally, no. Uh, the one exception to that I can think of uh, is in the Roman Empire, the cult of the emperor became more important. And it was much more of a loyalty test. And uh, we know about certain emperors, you read about uh, Caligula or Nero or, or the others who are voted by the Senate to be gods. And we look at that from a modern perspective and think that's ridiculous. Nobody believed they were a god, but uh, and, and they probably didn't. But it was a, a, a kind of a loyalty test. And so, this is why, again, Christians got into such trouble. The Romans expected everybody to, you know, throw, make a little 
little bit of sacrifice, throw a little grain on the altar for the emperor. That was just a, a sign of like in America saying the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, I, I, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. It's that sort of thing. And you could be as sincere or not sincere about it uh, as you wanted to be. But the, uh, the Christians, again, they refused to do that. Uh, and they, uh, they got in trouble. Uh, so there was much more in the empire of an emphasis on the emperor and on loyalty to Rome. But aside from that, no, there really wasn't that much of a change until Christianity took over. Now, before we move on to the spread of Christianity, just a quick side note here. How did the different cults work? Oh, the, the different cults. I mean, first of all, cult it tends to have a, a, a bit of a negative connotation to it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a good word, and we use it all the time in academics. But when I talk about the cult of Mars or something like that, really, uh, what, what the cult was, was very often a particular organization. And it was a closed organization. Think of it like a social group for men or for women. And they would worship different gods. And, well, for example, in London, go down to the uh, city of London, uh, to the financial district, and you will see a temple of Mithras in the basement of, of the bank there, which is, I recommend to everybody to go. It's so much fun uh, to go there. But that was a, a cult that was found all over the Roman Empire uh, that was to a god. It was male only, but it was it was a social club, and yet it was also a religious uh, club. Uh, and so there were, there were sacrifices and certainly things like that that happened, but it was also a, a social organization, a way to make friends, a way to establish business relations for that matter. But these cults could be like Mithras, or they could be much more informal. They could be men. They could be women. They tended to be one or the other. There are cults that have both, but just like in so much of society, people tend to, to segregate themselves by sex. But there was a great variety. Uh, some of the cults were absolutely secret. You could never tell uh, what was going on. Some of the cults were much more open. I'm intrigued by the secret cults. Okay, to talk about the movement towards Christianity and the spread of Christianity, we've got a few questions here. One from Hannah Mae Sunshine on Instagram, who's asked, how quickly did the Roman Empire transition from this polytheism to Christianity? It took a long time. And so you have Christianity beginning in a Roman province called Palestine at the very beginning of the first century AD. And it's really over 300 years before Christianity is accepted as official by Constantine, the Emperor Constantine. And even when Constantine says uh, Christianity is okay, it still took a couple of hundred years. We have records from after the fall of the Roman Empire where you have uh, people in Italy uh, in Rome, who are uh, certain saints who uh, are upset that the people are still worshiping gods and goddesses. Uh, and so it was a very slow process for the introduction of, of monotheism. Of course, you know, many of your listeners will know that uh, Christianity was very clever about how uh, it accepted this. So you had a goddess, particular goddess, who was worshiped, and the people enjoyed worshiping that goddess. Well, you come along and say, you know, uh, this is very much like the Virgin Mary. We have a uh, you know, we have a festival for the Virgin Mary. And it wasn't that it was just cynically uh, stolen or anything like that, uh, but the emphasis shifted a little bit. And, and so Christians said, you know, we, we're not going to be able to defeat polytheism in, in you know, one year, so let's just make it more gradual. Once Christianity was established, that was certainly more of a practice. Earlier, in the earlier years of Christianity, uh, of course, there was a lot of persecution uh, because the Christians were so different. This idea of monotheism was so different. And we've had a couple of questions on Twitter, actually, asking 
what aspects of Roman gods and goddesses were transferred to perhaps figures in Christianity after Christianity became more dominant? This is something you've sort of suggested and hinted at, but I wonder if you could tell us some specifics. Well, there were many different different Roman gods, and these were transferred, many of their functions were transferred to saints. Uh, for example, a specific example would be Poseidon or Neptune, who uh, was the god of the sea, the god of traveling. If you've spent much time on sea, you know it's dangerous, it's scary. Uh, I was on a, a boat recently off the coast of Turkey, and it, there was a storm, and it was tossing about, and uh, I was thinking of Poseidon. But uh, what happened was they would have saints very often take over the function of these gods. And Nicholas, St. Nicholas, the, the, the one we think of as Father Christmas or Santa Claus, was a special, became a special saint uh, in favor uh, who, who looked after sailors. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, just a, a great example. You would have a, instead of where you might used to have a temple to Neptune or Poseidon up on the hill above the harbor, you would have a chapel to St. Nicholas. Again, you could dismiss that as sort of cynical borrowing, but on the other hand, People are always concerned about their safety. They want to have a safe voyage. And so they shifted it over a little bit to uh, the gods. It's not that the gods became saints. You know, that may have happened on occasion, uh, but it was much more of a shift of, of responsibility, really. AJB History on Twitter has asked about the domestic gods and the provincial cults. What happened to these as Christianity and the adoption of churches spread? Well, the domestic gods, I mean, if you go to many uh, traditional Catholic households even today, uh, especially in Latin America is is uh, one that I'm more familiar with, uh, you will see statues to saints above the hearth. Uh, and you will sometimes even see things like incense or gifts of food. And so, this sort of thing happened in the Roman world. It, the household gods, the provincial gods. When Christianity moved in and took over, things just were given more of a Christian flavor uh, very often. So you have whatever the god might be of a particular location was very often adopted as a saint. I think of Bridget up here on my wall, who was a goddess in Britain, uh, but also in Ireland, of course, as well. And so, she was a real woman. She uh, just had her first national holiday in Ireland uh, this last year. There was also a goddess named Bridget uh, before that, who was a goddess of healing. Uh, and so, Bridget, the saint, the real Christian person, took on many of the functions of that goddess. Okay, so we've spoken about this transfer or this spread of Christianity. When did people stop believing in the Roman gods and goddesses, do we see a cutoff point? Because you've said it's sort of quite gradual. But is there a definitive moment? It's a great question. When did when did polytheism end? When did the Roman gods die? When did people not go to the temples anymore? And it, you know, if you force me into giving you a, a, a date, I would say probably in the in the sixth century, the five hundreds. Uh, certainly, uh, the temples are closed. The oracle at Delphi is silent. The Christian emperors shut down pretty much anything that's visibly not Christian anymore. The, the 500s, the, even the 400s, were a really big time for the end of the Roman gods. But, you know, it's very, very hard to change people's hearts in worship. And so, uh, we have records going into um, the early Middle Ages and sometimes even the late Middle Ages of people uh, worshiping saints, maybe, or you know, they sound an awful lot like gods and goddesses. And sometimes they just, you know, outright say this was a, a, a god that, that was worshipped by the common people. And so, it was a very gradual process. But in general, I would say 
by the year 500, by the year 600, uh, things were pretty well shut down and the old pagan religion uh, was gone. For people who are really interested in finding out more about this, where would you recommend they start their research, start their investigations? Oh, there are so many great books on mythology and religion out there. But again, the problem is just like the one I wrote. Uh, I wrote one called Oh My Gods, which I hope is a decent book, but it talks almost only about Greek mythology. So if you want to find out about Roman mythology, it's very much tougher. There is a, a, a great book called Roman Myths, comes out from the University of Texas Press by a scholar named Jane Gardner that focuses just on Roman mythology. But honestly, there are very few books out there, maybe I should write one, uh, that are just focused on Roman mythology and Roman gods. That was Philip Freeman. Philip's a professor in classics at Pepperdine University. His books include Hannibal, Rome's Greatest Enemy, and How to Think About God, an Ancient Guide for Believers and Non-Believers. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Jack Bateman. 